Jewish audio on Kabbalah.org. We begin a new section, Rambam. Hilchais Tumas Acholim. The laws having to do with the impurity and defilement of foods, which is something we've touched upon again and again, but never really quite gotten into. Mitzvahs Asei Achas. It is one positive commandment. All these chapters are one commandment. Vihi, and that commandment would be a biblical commandment of Din, Tumas, Acholin, Umashkin, on the laws of how foods could become ritually contaminated. We're talking about, of course, Holy Temple time, when people needed to maintain ritual purity, and foods needed to maintain ritual purity, and so on. The laws of the defilement of foods, Umashkin, and liquids, Vehechshedon, and what needs to be done to make them ready, fit, to contract this impurity, because as we will learn, unless something happens to a food, it cannot take on ritual impurity, and we will talk about what that something is. Obey your mitzvah and the explanation of this commandment, Bitrokim Elu, in the upcoming chapters. Peter Christian, chapter 1. The Rambam gives an introduction. Aleph, one, kol oichol hamiyuchad lamachalod, and the rule of thumb is, any food fit for the consumption of a human being, that which people call food, kigani, for example, lechem, bread, ubasar, meat, vanovim, or grapes, vizesim, or olives, ukayetzer, gohen, and anything in between. Food, mekabel, receives, is susceptible, takes upon itself, tuma, a state of impurity, when exposed to a source of impurity. If it's food, it can become impure. But something that is not particularly designated as food for human consumption, it's not people food, could be dog food, cat food, animal food, but it's not people food. This, by and large, will remain in a state of purity. The Ainaimikabuduma is not susceptible to even taking on impurity. The exception is Allah in Cain. Unless the person thought about making this food. For example, there was a particular herb, which by and large is used for animals. The person says, I like this herb. I'm going to have lunch. I'm going to eat this herb. In that case, this person just designated this for his purposes as human food. Just the thinking. Now, whether it's food that is across the board fit for human consumption, or whether it's food that a particular person designated as human consumption food, either way, the food cannot possibly take on a state of impurity odd until something happens. What's that something? It has to first become moistened, it has to become wet, through exposure to one of seven liquids. And we're going to enumerate these general seven liquids. Only, for example, the most common of these seven is water. If water was poured, let's say, let me give you an example, so we'll understand this down to earth. You have an orange tree. As we will learn, as long as the oranges are on the tree, nothing can happen to them in the realm of impurity because they're attached to the tree. And the fact that they're attached to the tree, which is attached to the ground, keeps it pure. You've now harvested this orange tree and put it in a container. You have 10, 100, 200 oranges sitting in a container, and along comes a rodent that climbs all over it. Well, maybe it needs a good death. Actually, a rodent is not a problem because a rodent is not impure when it's alive. Along comes a dead rodent and touches it. Nothing happens to it. Why? Because it has never been readied to receive impurity. But if water comes upon it, if somebody goes and pours water on it, let's say to wash it, then even if it's dry, all you need is the water to come upon it one time after it's been picked. And then if it's wet or dry, it makes no difference. It is now susceptible to take on impurity. This is called mukhshar lekabel tumah, or hechsher lekabel tumah. So this is what he says, that anything that did not have exposure to one of the seven liquids, which we'll talk about, cannot become impure no matter what happens to it. Zehu, this exposure to one of these seven general categories of liquid, hanikra, is called hechsher, being readied being prepared, being fit to receive impurity. Shanemar, as it says, and this is actually a verse in the Torah, mayim if water or liquid will be placed on seed after it is severed from the ground. So that's the general rule. Number one, it has to be human food. Number two, even if it's not, it has to be thought of as human food, and it becomes human food. Number three, it has to have had exposure to one of the seven liquids before it becomes contaminated, even though now it is dry. What are these seven liquids? I'm glad you asked. Two, these are the seven liquids. Which make food susceptible, which ready food to take on impurity, if the impurity comes. And here, every one of these seven categories of liquid will be defined with their sub-categories. In other words, every category has a list of stuff that's included in it. But that will be defined much later. There is a chapter. Chapter 10, which is dedicated to definitions of what water includes and so on. Here we have the general categories of the seven liquids. And they are Hamayim, water. The Hatal and dew. That which comes down from heaven, do, Morit Hatal. The Hashemin and oil. The Hayayin and wine. 
Oil comes from olives as a rule. Wine comes from grapes as a rule. Vehechol and milk. Milk comes from a cow as a rule. Vehadom and blood. Vehadvash and, as he says here, bee honey. Usually in the Torah, we talk about dvash, we talk about dvash tmarim. We talk about date honey or fig honey or what have you. Here we talk about bee honey. These are the seven. So again, it's water, it's one, dew, oil, wine, milk, blood, bee honey. The ain, and again in chapter 10, we have a lot of stuff included in every one of these categories. The ain are machshirin, they do not prepare something to become impure. They do not make food susceptible to impurity. There's another condition here. And that is that these liquids, when they fall upon the food after they're harvested, have to be with the desire, with the will of the owner. You can't have somebody force liquids on my produce. I have to want that liquid to come on my produce. Another condition is, the, the liquid cannot be toxic, it cannot be spoiled, you can't have sour milk, I mean you can have sour milk, but sour milk will not make food susceptible, bad water and so on. The bottom line is, is that spoiled liquid, toxic liquid, unhealthy liquid will not cause, I don't mean unhealthy, but abnormal condition liquid will not cause something to become susceptible. And another rule, I touched upon this earlier, once the food becomes ready by having been exposed to a liquid, even though it's now dry, makes no difference. It's now ready to take on impurity. It's dry now. It can still take on a state of impurity. So those are some very general rules. We know the Rambam was meticulously, brilliantly organized. So the Rambam built a building here with regard to exposure and contamination of food matters. Gimel, what about food? Shoyabol, which was moist, be made us in any type of fruit juice. You know, today, you go and you want to buy a drink. You can buy water. You can buy derivatives of water, perhaps sodas and so on and so forth. Or you can buy juice. Juice is a very popular drink. Orange juice, apple juice, all kinds of juice. When juice comes upon your food, like berry juice, any kind of like berries. Cranberry juice, very popular. Strawberry, blackberry, or pomegranate juice. These are all in the health food sections, in Gelson's and even Ralph's. Or any other kind of juice. Even though the food became wet from these juices, and the person who was impure in this case, the Zov, touched this food which had been moistened by the juice. Or a piece of corpse touched this food that had been moistened by juice. Does it become impure? The answer is absolutely not. It continues to be 100% pure. Why? Because it was not readied, because it did not become susceptible by exposure to one of the above seven liquids. Fruit juice is not one of the above seven liquids. And of course, there are many, many details to come. We are building a building. It's not with generalities. Dalid. Liquids themselves cannot take on impurity. With the exception of the seven above mentioned liquids. If you have the seven above mentioned liquids, they can take on impurity. Water, dew, oil, wine, milk, blood, behind. But other types of derivatives. Liquids come from fruit, called fruit juices. Just as we just learned, they cannot make something susceptible for impurity. They also do not become impure. And this halach is debated by the Ribbon and others, as the commentaries here explain. Hey, Zaysim Vanov in grapes and olives. Grapes are famous because from grapes you have wine. Olives are famous because from olives you have olive oil. Grapes and olives, we learned this halacha many times earlier, in other laws, which are not mature at least one-third of their maturity size. They're under a third mature. They grow less than a third of what they're going to grow into. Then mashkin, I have any liquids that come forth from these grapes or from these olives. Do not make ready foods for impurity. They themselves do not make to take on impurity. They are just like other fruit juices, which remain pure forever. Why would this grape juice, why would this olive oil remain pure? The answer is because the grapes from which they came and the olives from which they were squeezed were never more than one-third ripe. And as we learned earlier, they are not even considered proper food. Though now we get into the details. He begins with a list of stuff that cannot and does not take on impurity. Even though people eat them. What's the problem? It's a human food. It's designated as food. People eat them. Because people do not ingest these foods to derive pleasure from them. The reason people ingest these foods because they impart flavor into foods such as spices. Or they impart aroma into foods. Or they give a look to foods like red dye number three. And here we have a list, actually this list by and large comes from the Mishnah. By the way, there is a tractate of Mishnah. It happens to be the closing tractate of the entire Mishnah. It's called Uktsin. 
Uksin means stems, because the Mishnah is telling us which part of the fruit is fruit, which part of the fruit is not fruit, which part of the vegetation is, so the stems, they are, they're not, and so on. That's the name of this tractate. And this tractate has a lot of these laws. So here we have this list, which comes from the Mishnah. Hakesht, different interpretations. Ginger, the Hachamos, Aldarcini. It's on aisle 7 in Gelsus. It's an Indian fruit resembling a pomegranate. Others interpret this as a species of cinnamon. Veroshe bisomim, and the primary spices, which are translated here, interpreted as cinnamon and nutmeg. Vehachia, and asafedita, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing this right root, or astafedita, vachiltis, vapilpulin, pepper, vechalis horia, or safflower, vechen kokayetsaboza, bohen, anything similar, spices. Spices cannot become impure, because they're not ingested, they just add aroma and taste. Zayin hasheves, what about dill? My mother, of blessed memory, never made chicken soup without dill. Dill. As a rule, dill can be assumed to be eaten even by itself, like other vegetables of the field. If the person intended for it to flavor a cooked dish, like my mother with the chicken soup, it would not become defiled as food. But once dill gave a taste to this particular dish, the dill becomes a waste product, garbage. And because it's a waste product, it cannot become exposed to impurity. Because it's used dill. After dill put taste in the soup, you put it in the basura. What if dates and dried figs were placed in a cooked dish and treated as spices? But dates and dried figs are food. They still become impure, like food. Until no person will actually eat this because they are, they've so had it. Yes, here comes an item we talked about extensively earlier in other sections of the Rambam. Something called vetch. Beans usually used as animal fodder but used for humans in difficult situations. Again, kashinim is something called vetch, V-E-T-C-H. If this vetch was designated for human consumption, there's, something, there's a mom who said, Hey kids, guess what? We're having vetch for dinner. That's called designated for human consumption. Kid says, never mind, I'm going out. Mistamin, tumas, achol, and this could become uh, ready for contamination. Yud, hakir, hearts of palm, he translates this here. Hayokates, the chaldab, for all practical purposes, hearts of palm should be considered like wood. In other words, regarding ritual impurity. And the Rambam quotes his source in other versions. It says it is considered as food. However, if they were cooked and fried, cooked hearts of palms. Fried hearts of palms. Mistamin, tumas, achol, then they can become ready for impurity, because then it's clearly food. Yud, Grape seeds and grape pomes, which means the grape shells that are left after squeezing. You take grapes, you squeeze them for wine, and then the stuff that's left over. You can put them into food. But they're not considered food, and therefore not, they do not become contaminated as food. What about hard olives and hard grapes? They actually slip out. While you're squeezing them, they slip out from under the beam of the press because they're too hard. They do not and cannot become contaminated. How much? In other words, what amount from the general amount of grapes or olives that are being processed here, for carbon for every core, which he calculates here as about 2% of the whole volume. But if it was more, the carbon tumor, they can now receive impurity, if you gather them for food, even though they're less than four carbon, the carbon tumor, they can, because they have been designated as food. Budding dates, budding fruit, undeveloped fruit, I'm sorry, budding dates and budding fruit, and and black cumin, and they're like foods, and they can receive impurity. Mustard seed, lupine beans, and other foods which are pickled are susceptible to the impurity associated. You know what? I did this all wrong. Let me back up. Lulve is rodin 14. Budding leaves from branches. And carob trees. This makes more sense. Pepperweed and wild onions. They will not receive impurity until they are sweetened because they're just simply not edible at this point in time. And he says here that the translation of all these items are taken from the Rambam's commentary to the Mishnah. And he says here that all these substances are somewhat bitter. For them to be considered as food, they must be sweetened through a pickling process. Now we come to 15. Mustard seeds, musin, and lupine beans, and everything else that's pickled, they do receive impurity of foods. Both before they were sweetened or pickled and even after. Or after and even before. And 
When olives have been pickled together with their leaves, the question is, do the leaves also receive impurity? And hold in the common the leaves do not. Because the reason you pickle the olive leaves together with the olives is so it looks nice, not so you eat the leaves. So it's not really an edible food. The hairs of zucchini and its flower, and the common are not susceptible to ritual impurity. Now we come to the bee honey. These are matters that are discussed actually in the Mishnah. When honey is still in the beehive, it is susceptible to ritual impurity associated with foods, even if one does not designate it as food in his mind. Because it is considered food, that's what people do with honey. When one begins removing the honey, from the time the honeycombs are broken, they become susceptible to impurity because of liquid. When honey drips from the hive, it becomes impure. Like liquids, we thought about eating it, it becomes susceptible as food. It's actually a famous Mishnah towards the end of Uqtzir, the discussion between Beishamai and Beishilo, the Rebbe talks about this and so on. Oil that has congealed, congealed oil, it's not food and it's not liquid. If you thought about it, when it was congealed, then it's going to be either food or liquid. But his thought do not count because normal people do not treat it as liquid. It can become impure. And again, we all know that blood is not supposed to be eaten. Whether it's supposed to be eaten or not, it has nothing to do with impurity. Impurity doesn't have to be eaten. It just has to be able to be eaten. He thought about it as liquid, but his mind is nullified. His thoughts are nullified to normal people. When milk has congealed, it's not food, it's not liquid. He thought about it as food, it takes on the impurity of food. He thought about it as liquid, but his mind, his thoughts are nullified to everyone. Meaning, they have no consequence. 21 devash tomorrow, date honey, are not food, not liquid. He thought about eating them, they take on the impurity of food, liquid, but it doesn't mean anything. Sharakon, they pay the school, the rest of fruit juices, is neither food nor drink, as we said earlier. If you thought about them, whether for food or for liquids, for drinks, but it means nothing. 22 ashele, what about snow? When I was a kid, I used to eat snow. Snow cones. Hashelik snow, snow is not considered food, it's not considered liquid. But if you thought about making it food, it doesn't count, because normal people don't eat snow. But if you thought about making it liquid, it does become impure like liquids, because ultimately the snow will become liquid. What if it becomes partially impure? Like it does not become all impure. If he, brought, if he passed it over an impure earthenware container inside, the whole thing becomes impure. 23, the milk that is in the teeth of the animal, which means an animal is slaughtered, and there's still milk within its nipple. He thought about making it food. His thoughts mean nothing about the entire and it's pure. However, if he thought about the milk in the stomach, this can become impure as foods. When grapes have been trodden upon, once the grape trotter went in both directions, then it begins to be ready to become defiled as liquids. But if there were complete grapes remaining within them, those grapes can only be contaminated as food, not as liquid. So also olives, when olives are loaded into the olive press, they begin to be susceptible to the ritual impurity associated with liquids. But if there are whole olives left, they become contaminated as the contamination of foods, not as liquids. Just give me one minute here quickly. Okay. The closing paragraph of this chapter. Very important paragraph in these laws. The gist of the paragraph is just because something is forbidden, it doesn't mean it can't become impure. Just because something cannot be eaten, it doesn't mean it can't be considered as food for the purpose of impurity. Horla, fruits of a tree of the first three years which are forbidden. Wheat and vines that are mixed and produce a mixture. We learn these laws extensively. Or an ox which gored, and we're not allowed to benefit from an ox that is considered a goring ox. And it was slaughtered. The Eglarufa or the calf whose head had to be cut off in the case of a John Doe that was found between cities. Whether it was ritually slaughtered, as it shouldn't be, or the head was chopped off, as is the ritual. The two, the birds of the leper, the firstborn of the donkey, milk and meat, which may not, one may not derive benefit from, the flesh of the red heifer, the flesh of sacrifices, which had impure thoughts at the moment of their sacrifice, the Kohen thought improper thoughts about what it is or when he would eat it, or so on. Sacrificial foods left over. All of the above are not only forbidden to eat, they're forbidden to benefit from. Even though benefit is prohibited from every one of the above list, they all become contaminated with the 
defilement of foods, because just because you're not allowed to eat them doesn't mean they can't be considered food for the purpose of contamination. End of chapter 1. Rambam, Hilchais, Tumas, Acholin, the laws of impurities associated with food, which is a very basic part of the laws of impurity. Perek Sheni, chapter 2. And in chapter 1, we learn the basic rules that impurity can come to food if it is food which is for human consumption, or it was designated for human consumption, and then it has to have experienced liquid falling upon it, one of seven liquids he enumerated. Now he goes on to say in chapter 2, Aleph 1, paragraph 1, Kol ha'ochlin ha'gdele any food which grows from the ground, enon mekablin tumor, do not contract, are not susceptible to impurity, ad okru, until they are uprooted. As long as something is connected to the ground, it cannot become impure. As long as they are attached to the ground, even if they're connected by a small root, which can convey vitality, from which it can live, it cannot receive impurity. Homiletically, there is an interesting teaching. People have asked the question, how is it that the Rebbe could send shluchim literally all over the world, in the middle of nowhere, there's no environment, there's no infrastructure, and yet somehow these shluchim not only survive intact, but raise families who are observant of Torah and knowledgeable in Torah and observant of mitzvahs. How is it possible? There is so much quote-unquote impurity out there. The answer is because they are attached to the ground. The ground meaning ground zero. They're attached to the Rebbe. They're attached to his teachings. They're attached to Torah. They're attached to mitzvahs. When you're attached to the ground, all the impurity in the world doesn't have any effect. So that is a homiletical teaching on this halacha. When there's a branch of a fig tree that was broken off, but it's still connected by its bark, which you find sometimes. A branch snaps, but the bark is still connected. However, this bark does not convey enough vitality to cause this branch to continue to live, because ultimately everything on the branch will die. At this point in time already, all of the food on this branch, which means all of the figs, can now be susceptible to impurity. And now there's a further doubt. We're going to learn about the idea of a handle, that there is a, an object, and then there is the handle with which you hold the object, which also can, in certain situations, contract impurity. The question is whether the rest of the tree is the handle to this broken branch, and therefore the rest of the tree should perhaps be susceptible to taking on impurity. Says the Rambam, there is doubt. Gimel, Yerokes, what if there are vegetables? Sheyof should be Ivehan, that dried out while they were budding. As they were in the budding state, they dried out. For example, cabbage or squash that became dried out in the budding stage. These do not become susceptible to impurity associated with foods because they never really became food. However, Likon, if he gathered them, in order to dry them out, so he wants them dried out. They are foods. As they were, we also case until they become so dry, they'll become like the bark of the tree. But as long as they are some level of food, being that the person wanted them dried, then they are considered food and they can become susceptible to impurity. Elon, a tree. Which was broken off. And it has fruits. When the branch of a tree which contains fruit was broken off, the fruit is considered harvested, even though it's still connected to the branch, but the branch is broken. So also the whole tree became dried out. And there are fruits. They are considered as if they were harvested, and they can accept impurity. Figs dry out while they're budding. They do contract impurity already in their place, even though they're connected to the tree and the tree is connected to the ground. However, they're dried out. So we covered stuff that grows. What about? All the foods that come from living animals, they don't grow, so they're not connected to the ground. What's their deal? Their deal is, as long as they're living, they cannot become impure. We learned this earlier. As long as an animal is alive, it can't become impure. Only a dead carcass of an animal is a source of impurity. A live animal is not impure. So this is the rule of thumb. It's living, it's pure. However, what if somebody slaughtered an animal, or a domestic, or wild, or a bird? Even though the animal is still in its death throes, it's still moving, but for all purposes, for purposes of shita, that's already considered as dead, so for the purposes of impurity, this type of shita is already causing the animal to be considered dead, and it can already begin to accept impurity, even though it's still in its death throes. That's domestic wild and birds. But doggy, what about fish? At what point in time does a fish begin to become susceptible to taking on impurity? Once the fish is no longer alive, when it's dead. What if the fish developed something which does not allow it to live, and it's going to die due to its health? So that's considered an unhealthy and an unkosher entity. 
and then they became exposed to impurity. While they're still moving, we're not sure. They're already considered dead because they are not kosher, because they're going to die, or perhaps they do not take on impurity. Until they'll become still like a stone, and they will no longer move. If a limb or meat was loosely hanging from an animal, domestic or wild, and the limb cannot rejuvenate itself, if it has become susceptible through water, through liquid, then while it's still attached to the animal, it can begin to take on impurity. Because it is considered as food that has been separated, even though it's still connected. Once this animal is slaughtered, the slaughtering process will make it ready to become susceptible. Because the entire animal becomes a handle to this limb. And when the handle becomes ready to expose it to liquid, the limb becomes ready. As we will explain. If the animal during its lifetime will be like a handle, labor to this limb, or the flesh that is hanging from it. Now there's an interesting rule in seven, which we touched upon in six. Once one slaughters an animal, domestic or wild, or a fowl, all of the flesh of this animal is considered ready through exposure to liquid, because of the blood that came forth during the slaughtering process. Blood is one of the seven liquids. So the slaughtering process readies it. If for some reason blood did not come forth during the slaughtering process, then all of the flesh needs to be exposed to liquid like any other food that has not yet been readied. But under normal conditions, slaughtering produces blood, and the blood is one of the seven liquids. Ches eight achol in foods shehukshiru, which were ready to exposure to one of the seven liquids. Kishehem mechubarim lekarka while they're still attached to the ground doesn't count, obviously, because then where would you have anything that grows from the ground which was not exposed to liquid while it was attached? I mean, it has rain, it has water, it has dew. Nothing can grow without liquid, so obviously it has to be detached from the ground before the liquid which comes upon it means anything. Shehukshiru b'mayim mechubarim shebekarka. Here the Rambam touches upon another law. What if the water was connected to the ground? It's water in a well, or water in a cave, or in a cavern. That's also not considered readying because it's groundwater. Just as food connected to the ground is not considered ready for impurity, as long as it's connected to, to the ground. If the water is connected to the ground, it's not considered very ready for impurity. Until it'll be ready. After the food has been plucked, has been harvested, with water severed from the earth, or any other of the six remaining liquids. Why? Why is water different? Why can't water be in the ground? As it says in the verse, which deals with the readying, in any vessel. It can't ready for impurity. Until it becomes uprooted from the ground, the water, like water in a vessel. What if he harvested the water? He took, he drew the water with a vessel in the son of a and then put them in the ground. They still do not ready, by the way. We talked in the earlier chapter that there is a tractate of Mishnah, which deals with many of these laws called Uktsin, stems. I also want to point out there is another tractate in the Mishnah that deals with many of these laws, and that tractate is called Machshirin. Machshirin means readying foods for susceptibility to impurity. Machshirin. All of these laws of how foods get ready to become impure are dealt with in an entire tractate, which has the same word as the last word in paragraph 8. Machshirin. Nine, kishus, Now in halacha we learned extensively earlier when it came to agricultural laws that there are two kinds of flower pots. There is a flower pot with a hole. There's a flower pot without a hole. What's the difference? The difference is that the one with the hole connects to the earth that it's sitting on. So he begins with the flower pot with the hole. Kishus, When zucchini is planted in a flower pot. and it grew. Even though as it grew, it fell over the boundaries of the flower pot. It got bigger than the flower pot. Still it cannot receive impurity. Why? Because the flower pot connects it to the ground. It's still connected. As long as the flower pot has a hole where even a small root can protrude, it's considered as if connected to the ground. That's called in halakhic terminology, a flower pot with a hole. And anything planted in it does not become susceptible to impurity. So also water goes in, does not make this produce ready because the flower pot with a hole is considered like the earth. What about a flower pot without a hole? I'm glad you asked. Anything planted in it can already, the cobble can receive human impurity because it's growing from the flower pot, not from the earth. If there's water in it, it readies it to become impure. What if somebody is using utensils made from animal turds or from earth, and meaning not baked in a kiln like earthenware, but raw earth or rare or raw animal dung, 
from which dried, from which roots can break through, because that's the nature of this type of material. It can suddenly allow roots to break through it. Then this is considered still growing, and it does not allow vegetation to become ready for impurity. There's no hole in them. But the nature of the material is considered as if it has a hole, because the material itself is earth. Yudbeis Ots eats a pot, a flower pot, from below up, which was filled with soil up to the top of the rim of the flower pot. So there's nothing, no room in the pot, because it's all soil. This is not even a vessel. It's like a flat plate, which has no lip. There's an entire section upcoming, as there is an entire tractate of Mishnah, called Kalim Utensils, where it explains that a basic prerequisite is for something to be a vessel. Here, this flower pot is so packed with soil, there's no room in it. So it can't be a vessel. Now what about Mashkin Tmeim? We talk about the fact that this food has to be readied to become susceptible to impurity by having one of seven liquids fall on it. What if an impure liquid fell on it? Can we, so to speak, kill two birds with one stone? Could it be readying it and contaminating it at the same time? So he says, Mashkin Tmeim, defiled liquid. Let's say you have water, and that water is impure. which fell on the food, becomes impure. Even though it fell, not with the desire of the owner, because we did learn, and we will learn, a very important condition in this whole set of laws, that the owner of the food has to want the liquid to fall on it. Let's say I own a field, and I have a bunch of harvested produce, and my friend gets angry with me, so he goes and takes water and puts it on all the harvested produce. Does that ready it to become impure? The answer is no. My friend has no right to put water on my, on my harvested produce. <clears throat> I have to want the water to be there. If I don't want the water to be there, it doesn't count. But in this case, when the impure water fell on it, it not only becomes impure, but it also readies it to become impure. Because simultaneously, the readying and the impurity hit at the same time, provided that the produce is not connected to the ground or the water is not connected to the ground. I think that the last statement here is provided the liquids are not connected to the ground, because we learned earlier, liquids connected to the ground cannot become a source for readying for impurity. Yudalid, we touched upon this somewhat earlier. He spells it out. Any food that becomes spoiled and rotten. Until no human being will eat it. It's disgusting. It's no longer fit to take on impurity because it's not considered a human food. It's also liquids that became spoiled and rotten. A human being can't drink them. They cannot accept impurity. Just as they cannot ready. The verse says any liquids which can be drunk. These liquids can't be drunk. They're, they're disgusting. What if somebody has animal skin and animal hide and they cooked it? Go try and eat a cooked animal hide. You need a lot of ketchup. The Ashilia, or if somebody has the animal placenta, he decides to eat it for lunch. Shechish of Allah, he said, I'm going to eat this. They can become susceptible to become impure. However, the hide of a donkey is very tough. It's just cooking it helps it become susceptible. Or can't, because it's disgusting. Who's going to want to eat a donkey skin? Donkey hide. Another disgusting entity. What if there are wheat that are found in cattle turds? That's a clean word for cattle manure. There are pieces of wheat stuck in the manure. Pieces of barley, which are in the animal turds. Now, the question is, is this food? There was a manure. It's disgusting. They cannot receive impurity because it's not edible. No normal human being would eat it. However, if he said to himself, I'm going to clean it up and I will eat it, that thought, that intent, made it susceptible to become impure. Any food that became already impure, and we learned earlier in Halacha 14, that food that becomes spoiled will not receive impurity. Here the food is already impure. And it became spoiled after it became impure. After it became rotten. After it became impure, rather. It took on, it became spoiled and rotten. So here, spoiled and rotten, not fit for human consumption, is not enough. If it is so spoiled and rotten that even your dog won't eat it. Or it becomes hard, it becomes dry as a shard of clay. Not only will it not take on impurity, it's already impure. That condition makes it pure. Because if a dog won't eat it, it's no longer impure. It's no longer food. If it's dry as a shard, it's no longer food. So something that was impure has just become pure. That's one of the amazing aspects of the halachas of impurity. Something actually becomes impure through losing its title as food. Or as other things as we will learn. However, if it's just no longer fit for human consumption, but a dog is not that particular, we'll still eat it. It maintains impurity. And here the Rambam says another important halacha, which I just lost over, but we have to really put emphasis. We know that many, many items, people, utensils, can be immersed in a mikvah and made pure. Can food be immersed in a mikvah and made pure? The answer is no. 
So if your food becomes impure, it's very simple. You have a banana. A banana has a nice shell to it. The banana becomes impure. It's been harvested, it becomes impure. Can you immerse the banana in a mikvah? I mean, you can immerse it, but it's not going to help. You can't purify food in a mikvah. Certainly not seven-layer cake. You test 19, Zerayim, Tameim, Shazerom, or if somebody planted impure seeds, that which grows from them is considered pure. And we touched upon a lot of these laws earlier in agricultural laws. Even with regard to the type of vegetable which is not completely decayed in the ground, the example given earlier was like an onion. Provided it took root. Before it takes root, they maintain their impurity. Even where something completely does decompose. But the bottom line is, is that seeds, when they begin to grow new foods, can be considered no longer impure. Foods connected to utensils, they're no longer considered food. If utensil becomes defiled, they become defiled with the defilement of the vessel. Because the food now becomes like the bark of a tree, or like wood. So it's treated like wood. An example he gives is the remnants of dough that become attached to a kneading trough. You can't get this dough off. So it becomes part of the wood of the kneading trough. It's now treated like the wood. 21 kamash kashinitma, any liquid that becomes defiled. Yachashinitma, after it becomes defiled. Nifsad, it becomes ruined, spoiled, and it becomes rotten. Liquid will always retain its state of impurity. Because liquid will not leave the state of defilement even if a dog will not drink it. We don't care. No liquid could become pure. If a liquid is impure, it is impure forever. There is an exception. Of the seven liquids, there's one liquid that could become pure. What is that? How does water become impure? If somebody had, let's say this water, was impure at that time, he takes this water and pours it into the mikvah. As soon as the mikvah water covers this water, this water is no longer there for all practical purposes. Totally, they become pure. It's no problem if one of the waters is warm, the other is cold, one is cold, the other is warm. One water is disgusting, one water is good, one is good. It makes no difference. The water could be purified by water. That's interesting. That's like magic. But not the other liquids. What about makala, rod, a walking stick, a staff? Shimalaya, mashkits mayim, which is filled. Let's say the staff was hollowed out and it has a lot of impure liquid in it. Or it absorbed, it absorbed impure liquid. The heat will mix us up in the mikvah. And now immerse part of the staff in the mikvah. Will that also purify the water absorbed in it? Like daru amayim, shall mix us up, kula. Well, yes, but only if the whole rod becomes immersed in the mikvah, not part of it. Now, there's an interesting law, and we're going to learn a lot about snow. What's the deal with snow? So for our purposes, shelek shenikma, snow that became defiled. The hishit mixosay lemay mikvah, and part of this snow, the word here is hishit, it kissed, meaning it touched the water of the mikvah. So the snow connected to the water of the mikvah, being that part of it became pure, all of it becomes pure. So that the kissing, the connection of part of the snow, makes all of the snow pure. <coughs> We're going to learn halachas later about whether snow can actually top off a mikvah that needs more liquid. There was a famous story when the mikvah was built many years ago, in my early years of shlichas, in Long Beach, California, and it didn't rain for a long time. So they went up to the mountains and they created special containers out of plastic with holes in them, because we know it when water goes into a vessel, it's problematic. And they had plastic shovels with holes in them, and they filled a, a truck full of plastic containers with holes in them of snow, and went and filled the mikvah cistern with snow. And that's how it became a mikvah. This is a very tricky application. Please do not try this at home, unless it's snowing. Just kidding, even if it's snowing. It's not simple to meet all the halakhic requirements, but snow has a special place in these laws. So here we say the snow can kiss the water of the mikvah, and the whole snow becomes purified. I made a bracha earlier, I'm just going to have some water behind. which becomes impure. One is temed, a mixture of great dregs or peels, and water that produces a drink. In other words, you have a process where you're squeezing grapes and creating wine. The junk that's left over, the dregs and the peels, you mix them with water, and you create a great drink. But it's not wine. This is called temed. Whether it became defiled after it became this great drink, which is not wine. Or you, you, the person used impure water to begin with, before it becomes vinegar, if it's not in a state of vinegar yet, he can cause it to kiss the waters of the mikvah, so to speak, and it'll become pure. Why? Because being that it's not wine, what is it? It's water. Because it's like water. And we said earlier that water that's placed in the water of a mikvah could become purified. But once it becomes vinegary, 
It takes on the properties of wine. Wine cannot be purified in the mikvah. 25. Filled with liquids. Like, like honey. The yain and wine. Or anything similar. It's put in the mikvah. And then a person who was a primary derivative of impurity. Which we learned about much earlier. Touched it. This person spreads defilement to this honey or wine. Even though they're in a pot in the mikvah. <coughs> and the pot becomes impure because the liquid, the honey or the wine makes the pot impure even though it's in the mikvah. Why? Because it's just floating on top of the mikvah water. And the person touched the honey or the wine which contaminated the pot. So what if it's in the mikvah? But if it was filled with water, then the pot becomes pure. Because a primary derivative never defiles an earthenware vessel. The water in it does not become impure because they've already been mixed with the waters of the mikvah. <laughs> what if the primary source, not primary derivative, the primary source of the impurity extended his hand and touched it, then the pot becomes impure. Why? Because the primary source could cause an earthenware vessel to become impure. And we know that mikvahs do not purify earthenware vessels. When does an earthenware vessel become purified? I'm glad you asked. We learned earlier. Only when it's broken. As we will learn, its breaking is its purification. Chavav 26. Me meshvichais drainage water water that drains from somewhere. We have no idea where drainage water has been. Therefore, we must assume that it has also taken within it impure water. But if it becomes overwhelmed with rainwater, in rabba alayim if it's mucho, it becomes pure. Mechzel mechzel, you can estimate that it's fifty fifty. I'll tell you it's all impure. Maybe the kalim, maybe the whether it's in utensils in the ground. If the drainage water came first, I'll call them But if the rainwater came first, we all do alayim kosher, we make meshvichais, and then there's a bunch of rainwater and a little drainage water falls on top of the rainwater. I'll tell you it all becomes impure. Shemashkin to make sure because impure liquids that fell into pure ones, but time the become defiled even with a little bit. Chavzayin twenty. I'll tell you if it's gage, when somebody spreads mud on the roof of his house before the rainy season, they used to spread mud over their roofs to seal them because it's possible that the heat of the summer caused cracks to develop. Or somebody's washing his clothes and the water is dripping. If rainwater fell upon this drippings, and there's a lot of drippings, and if there's more rainwater, then it's okay. And that which drips is okay because the rainwater overwhelmed it. The closing paragraph of this chapter. What if somebody anoints himself with oil, with olive oil that's pure? And then this person becomes impure. What do you do when you become impure? You immerse in the mikvah. The Torah, you immerse in the mikvah. By Hashem, I'm sorry, immerse, immerse. He comes out of the mikvah, his hands still oily, his body still oily. Because water doesn't take off oil that easy. And if you can estimate that the amount of oil that's still left on his body is enough to anoint even a small limb, but not more than that, then he is now ritually pure as he was before this whole process. Because it's only a little bit of oil, and we're not going to make a big deal of it. But if he anointed himself with impure oil, and he immersed, here he used impure oil to begin with. Earlier he anointed himself and became impure. But here the oil is impure. If there is a feel to this oil where you can actually feel moist, then the oil, which is impure, will retain its state of impurity. And therefore the person is impure. But if there isn't enough to feel the moisture, but will be mute, it is nullified in the fact that it is such a small measure. End of chapter 2. Rambam. Hilchais, the laws of Tumas. The impurity that comes about through foods, which is an entire category in Torah law. Aleph 1, Kvar Biarnu, we already explained earlier in chapter 1, Halacha 1. We established certain axioms about this category of law. Axiom number 1 we established. She'ein ho'acholim mistamin. Ad she'yuchshuru. That foods cannot become defiled until they are made fit to do so, until they are ready to do so. And we learned how. How do foods become ready to take on impurity? By having liquids, one of the seven liquids, water and the like, come upon them. That's condition number one. In order for food to be able to be defiled, it has to have become moistened through one of the seven liquids, as we will learn, as we did learn, with the goodwill, with the intent, with the focus of the owner. The owner has to want it to happen, as we will learn in great detail. That's condition number one. Condition number two is that it has to be human food, food fit for human consumption. It can't be in the dog food and cat food aisle in the supermarket. It has to be in the people food aisle. 
v'shakol oichel, if there's any food, she'ena miyuchet l'machal which is not, generally speaking, designated for human consumption, by and large, people do not consume it. For example, it's animal food, e'ena mekabal tumah, it cannot take on the state of defilement, ad she'yichad l'odom, until it is designated for human consumption. These are the two conditions required. Condition number one, it has to be exposed to liquid, which is called mukhshar. It has to be prepared. We talked about the tractate of Mishnah, a whole tractate about this, machshirin, which we talked about yesterday. And then it has to be food, which is human food. What happens if it's not human food? What happens if it's animal food? Something people fed their sheep, or their lambs, or their cows, or their donkeys. But the guy says, you know what, it looks good, I'm going to have some. So a person has to think and designate it and make it in his mind as human food. Those are the two axioms we talked about, which make up the gist of this chapter. Again, to repeat, because it's important that we understand this. It has to be exposed to liquid, after it's severed from the ground, and it has to be people food. If it's not, it has to be thought about. I want this to be my food. A person has to do that. Now, in some places, certain things may be people food. In some places, they may not be. Based a food which is set apart for people, designated for people. People eat it. In this place, in another place, it's not. In the place where it is designated as people food, it's people food. You don't need a special intent, a special focus to say, this is going to be people food. It's people food for everybody. I, I, will, I will never forget. I, I, I was brought out to Hong Kong many years ago before it, became, before it was returned to China. And I was lecturing and speaking and teaching and doing what I do. And the rabbi said to me, come, let's take a walk. And he took me into the, uh, like the shuk, the marketplace over there, the fairgrounds. And, and suddenly we come to an area where they are barbecuing stuff. And I see they're barbecuing dogs and cats and, and all kinds of stuff. And, and like, to me, you know, a kid from Newark, you know, shook me up. But there, that's people food. Not a problem. Anyway, just to end the story, we didn't have any. <laughs> really. But in a place where it's not designated as people food, whatever the food is, it's not consumed by humans. There, sort of, we need, and this is the buzzword, the keyword, machshava. We need a special thought process. I am thinking of eating this. Ah, all right, that makes it people food for me. to designate it for a person. Then and only then could it take on a state of defilement. So we have these two conditions. It has to be people food, and then it still has to be moistened by one of the seven liquids. Now, I want to just establish something so we shouldn't be confused about this. The fact that we're talking about something being people food doesn't mean it has to be kosher people food. It could be people food for non-kosher people, meaning for, Jew, for non-Jews who don't observe kosher. They're people. People food is people food. Nothing to do with the laws of kashrut. So if something is not kosher, let's say uh, it's, it's, food, it's, it's meat of a non-kosher animal, it's people food. It can take on impurity. And we learned this actually earlier, that there's a whole list of things that are prohibited to benefit from. It doesn't have anything to do with the fact that it could become pure because it could be consumed by people, even though it shouldn't. Now he establishes another rule, and this is an important rule which is going to be referred to in this chapter. And that is, any food, which in time will defile both people or utensils and or utensils, something that is only short of some time before it becomes a major source of impurity, does not need preparation. Meaning, does not need to be exposed to liquids because it's very soon going to become a major source of impurity. Now, in order for us to understand this and understand it hopefully somewhat thoroughly, I want to introduce something that we learned earlier. And that is, there is a law in kosher laws that once the shochet slaughters an animal, once the ritual slaughterer, the shochet, slaughters an animal for kosher, even though, or a bird or what have you, even though the animal is still in its death throes, it's moving, but it is the nervous system that is subconsciously moving. Because once the two signs of life have been severed, there is no life to the animal. What's moving is an involuntary movement called death throes. Death throes. And in halacha, that is considered as if the animal is no longer living. But that is only in the case of shechita. Only when a shochet does it. Therefore, when, in the case of non-kosher slaughter, if an animal is killed for non-kosher, in a non-kosher way, then the animal is considered living during its death throes. That's halacha. In other words, the law that an animal in its death throes is considered as if it died, is only in kosher laws. In the laws of non-kosher food, it's not so. That's a principle established much earlier. We need to know. Who cares? It's only a matter of a few seconds. 
or a minute or whatever it is. The question is, does the animal convey impurity or not? Because in order for an animal to convey impurity as an animal carcass, we learned earlier that an animal carcass conveys impurity. It has to be dead. As long as it's still alive and a death rose is considered alive, it's not dead. And therefore, it cannot convey impurity as a carcass. Where can it convey impurity? As food. Now the question is, does this need to be exposed to liquid? Because it's food now, it's not a carcass yet? The answer is no, because any moment, it will become a carcass. And therefore, for the short few moments between now and then, it doesn't need to be exposed to liquid. Beside the fact that we learned earlier that when an animal is slaughtered in any form, the blood that gushes forth from it is one of those liquids, which makes it prepared. So let's learn the last few words in two again. Any food which sooner or later will bring defilement to people and to utensils, such as the example I brought. As soon as the death grows over, it's a carcass, and it will bring defilement to everything it touches. And it's sort of actually does not require liquids to make it susceptible. And I'm going to read a note here that Rambam is speaking about a non-kosher animal that was slaughtered for a non-Jew as I explained, which is in its death rows. Although it does not impart impurity as a carcass until it actually dies, because that's the halacha, that in the case of non-kosher slaughter, it has to actually be past that period of the death rows. It becomes susceptible to impurity from the time that it was slaughtered. Why? Because it's food. If it comes in contact with a source of impurity at that time, at that moment, if something makes it impure, it contracts impurity and can impart it to foods or liquids. So while the animal was in its death rows, it was exposed to a source of impurity, and then it touched food all while it's in its death rows. You say, hey, nothing happened because it's not a carcass yet. Yes, it is, because it was food, and because it's going to become impure, it's already considered impure. And if an, an impure source touched it and it touches food, it makes all that food impure. That's the gist of what we just learned. And I know it's not a simple issue here. It's, it's very complex. But these are complex laws. And uh, I'm very grateful to all of you for sitting and learning with me. These are challenging laws. I'm going to explain them as best as I understand them and as best as I can. Gimel Halacha 3. This is actually taken from the Mishnah, where it's based in the Mishnah, where he brings down a whole list of general statements. He breaks it up into four categories. Yes, there are some foods that need to be ready by exposure to liquid. But they don't need any special thought process. Remember, we learned earlier, we need two prerequisites. We need the food to be exposed to liquids, that's hechsher, and we need mashaba. We need thought to make it human food. Some foods need the exposure to liquids, and they need the thought process. This is food. That's category one. And sometimes you need to focus. This is food, but you don't need the exposure to liquids. That's category two. Category three, sometimes you need both. The thought, this is food, and exposure to liquids. Sometimes you need neither of the two. And here, the Rambam in this long paragraph goes on to spell out scenarios. Gates out, for example. Category one. Food that is across the board considered human food. Such as uh, sushi. They require exposure to liquids. Because food requires exposure to liquids. They do not need special focus. This is food because it's food for everybody. So a tomato. Once a tomato is harvested, it needs to have been exposed to liquid. Water has to have fallen on it by the intent of the owner after it was harvested. Once it does that, no one needs to say, I'm going to eat this tomato. That's what people do with tomatoes. They eat them. I don't know anybody who collects tomatoes. I'm a tomato collector. <laughs> Dogim tahedim. Now, what about kosher fish? Lachagogim, or kosher locusts. We know in the Torah it talks about certain locusts that are kosher. Nowadays we don't know which locusts those are. So nowadays we don't eat locusts. The bottom line is, is if you can find a grasshopper that has an OU on its belly, it's probably kosher. But other than that, you should not be eating locusts even though you suspect they're kosher. We can't determine the science today. So if we have dogim tahedim, kosher fish, lachagogim tahedim, kosher grasshopper locusts, bechtahedim, bechomok, and they're pure everywhere. I'm sorry, let's start again. Fish and grasshoppers that are kosher species, everywhere, doesn't matter where they are. Bechagogim tahedim, bechagogim tahedim, bechagogim or the non-kosher species of fish and the non-grasshoppers uh, of locusts, and the non-kosher species of fish, bakforim, in the villages. What's the significance of the villages? Because there is less food available in the villages, so people will settle for a lower level of food. So they'll eat even what we wouldn't eat. Nevertheless, they are still people food. Again, let's not confuse the laws of kosher. This is not about kosher. This is about what people eat this food. And therefore, it's food. All kosher fish are food. All kosher locusts are food, even unkosher fish. And unkosher locusts are eaten by many people, non-Jews, of course, in the outlying areas where you don't have the more popular fish and locusts. Therefore, they do need to be exposed to liquids, but they don't need a special thought process because it's considered food. Now, I want to, as I like to say in my classes, I want to push the pause button for a second and explain something we learned earlier. 
What if an animal dies on its own, what we call roadkill? That animal carcass is impure. Everything about it is impure. It's not only not kosher, but it also conveys impurity. Dead animal equals impurity. There's one exception. If a kosher species animal was slaughtered by a shochet, then it's not impure. It does not convey impurity, and it can even be eaten. It should be cooked first. So that's an interesting law. Dead animal equals impure. Kosher slaughtered kosher species animal. Everything about the animal is pure. Now, what happens when you have the fat of a kosher species animal? Well, if it was slaughtered, all of the animal, including the fat, is considered pure. But what if it was not slaughtered? The fat of a kosher species animal, Shemesoi died on its own. Roadkill. This needs to be now exposed to liquid. Why? Because it's food. People will eat it. Again, not Jewish people, but people will eat it. But it's not pure. It doesn't need the thought process. It just needs the exposure to liquid. So, here, this was killed in a non-kosher way. And we learned earlier, if an animal slaughtered, the blood makes it ready. But we're not sure exactly how this was slaughtered, whether there was this blood. So that's a category of those that need to be readied by liquids and do not need a special thought as food because across the board they are considered food. Category 2, the following list require both the focus, this is food, and exposure to liquids. Meat that was separated from a living being. The Rambam is talking about meat, he says here in the note, that is not separated purposefully. If, however, one cuts the meat from a living being with the intent of using it as food, it does contract ritual purity. So here is meat from a living being that was separated. It just happened. Whether it came from a human being, or an animal, or a bird, all of these go into the category of they need to be thought of as food. Because the average person is not going to eat human flesh. Or even animal flesh that was just severed and for some reason, or, or bird flesh. Human beings don't usually eat stuff like that. So it needs to have machshava. It needs to have thought. I'm going to eat this. Similarly speaking, the carcass of an impure species bird. Now we learned earlier in great detail that the carcass of a unslaughtered kosher bird is a source of impurity. Remember, we learned that if once it enters into the esophagus, that's when it conveys impurity. But this does not apply to the carcass of a non-kosher bird. The carcass of a non-kosher bird does not convey impurity. If, however, the, perp- the person has a carcass of a non-kosher bird and he says, I'm going to eat this, then if it's exposed to liquids, it can contract imp- impurity. The fat of a kosher species animal that was slaughtered in rural areas because as a rule, since the animal was slaughtered properly, the fat, which is not supposed to be edible to Jews, will be separated from its meat and sold to non-Jews who don't have the mitzvah kosher. In larger communities, there'll be a market for this, because there's a lot of non-Jews who are looking for this fat. But in smaller villages, buyers may not necessarily be found, and therefore it's not considered food until it is. So he says, even though it has been readied through the blood that comes forth during the slaughtering process, it needs a second experience of readiness, because only after you thought about it as food can it be considered food, and then it needs to be exposed again to liquids. The next category here is the next item on the list. All other wild vegetables. Like very pungent, very strong onions. Very, very strong. And mushrooms. These are not necessarily foods that are eaten by people. For many people, these onions are too strong. For many people, these mushrooms are too mushroomy. So they need to be thought about as food. So also, grasshoppers, with dog, and little fish. In the villages, they need thought that they're going to be eaten. They need a special thought process. The uh, Mishnah says, unkosher fish and locusts. When endives, these vegetables are generally used as animal food, but sometimes they're eaten by people. When endives, this is the ulshin, which were planted for an animal, and a person said, you know what, it looks good, I'm going to have this, I'll put it in my vegetable soup. They cannot, they do not take on impurity. Until he thinks about them. After he harvests them, why? Because at the time of planting, they were planted as animal food. 
Only after harvesting we say, hey, maybe I'll use this as human food. So then, it needs that thought. Shemachshebes, chibor, whatever was thought about while it was still connected to the ground, the Shabbat doesn't count. Ulshin, endives, shelikta livente, which were gathered for one's animal. Vehedichon, and he washed them. So if he washed them, they now have been exposed to liquid. But the problem is they've been gathered for an animal. As he's washing them, he says, hey, this is looking good. He dries them up and he says, you know what, I'm going to eat this. The washing doesn't count. It needs to be washed again. Because at the time you washed it, it was animal food. It became human food after the thought. It needs a second washing after that thought. Similarly speaking, any similar scenario. We learned earlier about aloe. Aloe is the fat or the skin or the meat of an animal that sticks to the hide. So usually people don't eat it. It's just little strips of meat that stuck to the hide. But if somebody in Chosheb al somebody says, hey, this is a good-looking piece of meat. I'm going to trim it and eat it. He designated it as food. It takes on the purity of food. But if he doesn't think about eating it, most the normal person won't eat it. It's too small. It's too close to the hide. It should be considered like wood. Wood does not accept impurity. And we learned many of these laws earlier. The bones that are connected to the meat, the sinews, the soft spots, the horns, the hooves, the wings of a bird, and the beak, the soft spots, from the nails, I'm sorry, Khartoum is the beak. Hamagloim Babosar, which are embedded in the flesh. Sikhim Hechshirum Akshaba need to be readied by exposure to liquid and need the thought process. I said earlier, Knafayim are wings and the nates are the feathers. Okay. That's category two. Next comes category three. The following do not need either thought nor exposure to liquid. Nibas behemoth, the carcass of a pure animal. Everywhere. Kosher species, the kosher, the, the carcass of a pure bird, the and the fat of a pure animal in the large cities of Yishev Yechodim, because that's what they are. They are people food. None of the above need a special thought process. They don't need exposure, they should say from the time of because when they become a carcass, they will convey impurity to people and to utensils as long as there's enough volume. Therefore, already now, they can take on a source of impurity. The rule is that anything that will become more severe level of impurity, any sort of hasher, does not need exposure to water, the liquids. So that's category three. Category four, the following need to be thought of as food. But do not need exposure to liquids. The carcass of a kosher species bird in the villages. The carcass of an impure species everywhere. They need to be thought of as food. If he thought about it when it was less than an olive's worth. But once it's an olive's worth, a piece of carcass as big as an olive or bigger is a major source of impurity. So that's paragraph three. Moving right along. If a Jewish shochet went, a Jew went and slaughtered an impure species animal for a non-Jew, there's nothing wrong with that. And he, he severed the two major signs discussed in the laws of Shita. Because it was done Shochet style, even in its death throes, it already conveys impurity of food. There's no bigger thought. Then slaughtering it for food. But it does not need to be exposed to liquid. Because when it's really dead, it will convey, in other words, when the death throes are over, it will convey impurity due to a carcass. But if you only severed one of the two signs or just killed it, then it does not convey the impurity of foods while it's in his death throes. So also next scenario, a non-Jew slaughtered a kosher species animal for a Jew. Uh, that's not kosher, of course. And he severed both signs, the majority of both signs. As Allah requires, it has now been exposed. It, it now conveys the impurity of food, even when it's in his death throes. It does not need to be prepared by exposure to liquid. But if you only severed one of the signs or he just killed it, Nakhara means he stabbed it to the throat. It does not convey the impurity of food, but he can shine like all other carcasses. We learned earlier that if somebody severs a limb off a living animal, then we learned earlier an entire limb conveys the same impurity as an animal carcass. In our situation, he just cuts off a piece of meat. He cuts off a piece of meat from a living animal. And then he says, ah, I think I'll eat this. So it needs to be exposed to liquid. But if he thought about it first, then cut it. And it doesn't need any 
exposure to liquid, because it has a more severe form of impurity, and that is a carcass. Anything that becomes more severe, and it's sort of does not need to be prepared to exposure to water, as we learned earlier. We know that a minimum volume of carcass is a olive's worth. Less than that, less than an olive's worth of the carcass of an impure animal, where a person thought about eating it, but it's less than an olive's worth. So he did, he went and took other foods. And he made not only an olive size, but he made an egg size. Now the question is, does this need to be ready with liquids? Not the whole thing. In other words, not the dough that was added to it. Because there is less than an olive's worth of, uh, of corpse. So it doesn't require it. But if he made it, it now will become a source of severe impurity. It's because if he would have done that, it would become, therefore it already is. So also an olive's worth of the carcass of an impure species animal, and he thought about it, that he's going to eat it, until it became like an egg's worth. Now, one would not become defiled by touching it, because he's touching the dough. He's now going to have to have a special thought process to eat this. But not the dough. The dough does not need exposure to liquid. Because it is now of the size of an egg, carrying it causes impurity because it's a carcass. It's a piece of carcass. Even though because it's covered with dough, it does not convey impurity by touching it. But in the end, it will give a much more severe form of impurity, that of carcass, but because Hesar HaShar does not need to be exposed to liquid. Zayin, Pachas, because Ayesim Sarah Mez, less than an olive's worth of carcass meat, Shehishu Mel Kebeya, where he just added other stuff. Make it as big as an egg, Mishar Ochlin, Akel Tzarech Mashar, but now it all needs to be thought of as food. Why? Shari Bortu HaKel Eitzel Kolodom, because whatever one is doing, we, we go back to the common average person, what does he think? Hakel Tzarech HaShar, but it does not need to be exposed to liquid, because it has the carcass food within it. Ches, Kazayis Minames, a olive's worth of a corpse. Shechipo, the buttock, he covered it with dough. Hakam, Mastamatum, Machamura. It all takes on a more severe form of impurity. Tes, Achis, and Buzzer. May Odom, Chayla, Chila, Lekel. What if somebody, and again, as I talked many times, when the Rambam talks about something, he doesn't talk about other issues connected to it, only the issue at hand. We have one issue, and that is impurity. Achis, and Buzzer, Odom, something, Odom, somebody cuts a piece of flesh off of a human being, Lachila, Lekel, to feed it to a dog. Anything that is dog food does not carry impurity. We learned that earlier. It has to be people food. And then he said, hey, maybe this should be people food. It now needs thought. It does not need exposure to liquid. You're the closing paragraph in today's, in chapter three. Interesting scenario, Gazel, a little chick, a chick, a baby chick. Shanof al which fell into a vat of wine. It got so drunk, it died from alcohol poisoning. Well, Mesa died. It had a happy death. I'm just kidding. It's inappropriate. Okay, a chick fell into a vat of wine and died. Even though the vat is located in the city where there are many people, and therefore this animal carcass would ordinarily be considered as food. The fact is that being that it's in the vat, it's repulsive. It will not be considered food. Well, if he, therefore, if it is, so that's Mashabah needs a special thought process. What if he thought about this? He said, hello. When he took it out of the bath, he brought this chick, and he said, you know, I know this is not kosher, but my next door neighbor is not Jewish. He doesn't keep kosher. Let me give it as a gift to my next door neighbor. Now that it's food, it does convey impurity. Because he thought about it being people food. I guess it was uh, exposed already to liquids because it was in the bath. But if he said, I'm going to give it to my dog, because dog is man's best friend, then it's dog food, not people food. Only people food can, be, can convey impurity. So the thought counts. What if the person who lifted it out of the vat is either a deaf mute or someone who's not mentally mature or a minor whose thought doesn't count in halacha? People who are not responsible, their thoughts can't make a difference. But still, this is considered, then it's considered pure because the thought of this person will not make it food. However, even this person, meaning the deaf mute, the shaykh of the person who's not mentally mature, or the child, if they actually took it out to give it to a person, then it does become a source of impurity. Because what they thought doesn't matter. It's what they did that counts. There's no need for thought when there's deed. End of chapter 3.